0: Welcome to Second Story Work, the novel. I'm Josh Sobalski, author of Second Story Work. In last week's episode, we learned that Detective James Roby was continuing his pursuit of Kent Sanderson's killer and for those responsible for the Burnaby liquor store robbery. The boys also welcomed Hecky back to the house, and he came with a plan for their ill-gotten money. Please enjoy chapters 22 and 23 in this Episode 8. Chapter 22. February 11th, 2009. The following day, Derek worked from 3 to 11. He closed up shop at 11.15pm and walked out of the liquor store to the parking lot. He heard a voice call his name. It was Sergeant Roby, standing next to his car. He was smoking a cigarette. Derek didn't recognize his face, but he knew the voice. Evening, Sergeant. You making sure we don't get robbed again? no nothing like that i did notice a van parked here last night though oh yeah that was my roommate we had a drink next door after i was done work yep well i gotta be honest derek it's always a little curious to see a van parked next to a spot that had a box job pulled a few months ago yeah i could see that replied derek as he looked back at the store it's nice to know you keep an eye on us i don't want to go through that again it's no trouble son anyway sorry but i gotta cut this short i have to go catch my bus Nah, don't worry about your bus. I'll give you a lift home. Are you sure? asked Derek. Yup, not a problem. That would be great. Thanks. Roby led Derek over to his car and they climbed inside. He pulled out of the parking lot onto Hastings Street and began the ride to Derek's house. Busy tonight? Derek wondered. Nope, a little bit of a change. Well, that's good. Yeah, the city's gone to hell lately. That's nothing new, said Roby. The UN and the RS will be killing each other for a while before it gets cooled. Do you ever get scared? Being a cop and all? Derek was curious. Not really. I mean, I've never been shot at and I've never had to pull. But if I did, I'm sure there'd be some fear. Man, I couldn't do your job, said Derek. You're braver than me. Well, I think I hug my wife and kids a little harder than, say, maybe a guy who's going to work at a factory, you know? How many kids do you have? I have two girls. Seven and three. I'm scared to have girls, joked Derek. With boys, you worry about your boy. With girls, you worry about everyone. Oh, I live that, Roby agreed. Well, at least you can show these boys a badge and a gun, Derek smiled. I won't hesitate to do so. Roby pulled the car onto Woodsworth and drove towards the house. At the bottom of the hill, he turned around and drove back up and parked. He turned to Derek just as he was about to exit the car. My partner has a thing for you. Anna? Yep. It's nuts if you ask me. You know, with her being 15 years your senior. Yeah, I'd say so. Derek agreed. Did you know? Derek grinned. I had my suspicions. All right, kid. Well, you didn't hear it from me. Now go on. Have a good night. You too, sir. Derek exited the car and looked both ways as he anticipated crossing the street. Halfway across, he heard Roby say, You're a good kid, Derek. He smiled as Derek turned back to face him. I appreciate that. Roby began rolling up his window when the passenger door opened. Derek crouched down and could see movement in Roby's passenger seat. A gunshot echoed and blood splattered on the driver's side window. What just happened? A shadowy figure emerged from the passenger side of Roby's car and just stood right next to it. In the middle of the street, Derek dropped his bag, frozen solid. The figure walked around the front of the car towards him, holding a knife. Run, Derek, run, repeating it over and over in his head. Run, you fucking moron, run. The figure was dressed in black from head to toe. Derek's brain said go, but his body said no. He couldn't move. For the second time in the last month, he had witnessed a murder. The figure approached him, letting a knife fall by his side. The figure used his left hand to remove his mask. It was Hecky. What the fuck did you just do? Shut the fuck up, Hecky whispered. Jesus Christ, screamed Derek. Hecky placed his bloody hand across Derek's mouth and looked him in the eye. Shut the fuck up. Relax before someone sees us. Derek nodded his head. If I move my hand, are you going to be quieter? Asked Hecky. Derek nodded his head once again and Hecky moved his hand. They walked to the front of the car. Quietly, almost to himself, Derek asked, Why? Jesus fuck, why did you do that? Hecky looked at Derek and tilted his head. He was on to us, dude. You think a cop takes this much interest in you without having a reason why? Like, why is he driving you home? Hecky, he wanted to tell me that his partner had a thing for me. You're so naive, Sarge. And you've lost your fucking mind. Like, fuck, why did you do that? He's got kids. And you've got your freedom, Derek. This guy was going to take us down. Hecky took a moment to breathe. Look, we can't argue. We need to get him off the street before someone sees us. Go move my van. No, I'm not helping, Derek protested. Hecky he stepped to Derek. Get your fucking bag and go move my van. He threw his keys to Derek. We can't keep stacking bodies, Derek shouted as he turned and walked away. Hey, listen, motherfucker. If I go down, we all do. You, Arlov, love, messy, all of us. You motherfucking cocksucker. Derek's voice echoed in the street as he grabbed his bag and walked into the house. As he walked past the couch, he let his duffel bag go and he exited the back door to the garage. He opened the garage door and drove Hecky's van out into the street into the back alley. He pulled over to the side. Seconds later, Hecky drove Roby's car with the lights off. He pulled up beside the van with the driver's side window still bloodied. Derek watched Hecky pull the car into the garage and motioned for Derek to park on the street. Derek drove the van around front and then walked back to the garage. Once he entered, he saw that Hecky had already moved Roby's body from the car and placed it on a tarp on the floor. There was blood all over the interior of the car, as well as Hecky and the tarp. Hecky put on old work pants, gloves, a mask, and a toque. Derek took one look at his clothes and realized he needed to change. Don't tell the boys, said Hecky. It's you and me. I know, fuck. I'll be right back. Derek ran into the house and up to his bedroom to change. He put on old plaid pajama pants, an old sweatshirt, and an old pair of running shoes. On his way back through the kitchen, he noticed the portable phone and contemplated calling the police. He started thinking, could he do that to his friend? Could he even call Heccy a friend? All these thoughts went through Derek's head. When he got to the garage, Heckey was crying on the floor. You alright? Derek felt stupid asking. Sarge, I never wanted this. Look what we've become. Derek agreed. I know, man. This is really spiraled. I just want to do the truck thing and be normal, you know? I know, buddy, said Derek, nodding his head. I guess we just have to do this and we try to get going with that. You're right, Sarge. We can't keep dumping bodies. No shit, thought Derek. This was the last thing he felt like doing. He took a minute to breathe and thought about Anna. She would be devastated. Hecky, get up. We need to eradicate this. Now. What are we going to do, Sarge? I don't know, replied Derek. Could we make it look like a suicide? Hecky rose to his feet and looked at Roby's dead body. I don't think so. He crouched down and took a closer look at Roby's bloody face. Look, Sarge, I think we got two options here. We send him fishing or we torch the car. Whatever you think is best, replied Derek as he stuck out his hand. Give me your phone. Nice. Good call. Take it. Hecky handed Derek his phone, and he walked the phones inside and left them in the kitchen. As he was setting them down, he wondered what sort of device Ropey had. Oh, fuck. Derek raced through the house and ran out to the garage. Hecky was standing over the body. What's wrong? He asked. Does this car have a dash cam or a GPS? Asked Derek, frantically. Relax. No dash cam or GPS. I put his cell phone on the seat. They can track his cell, right? Yeah. Hecky nodded which is why we have to drive his car around town for a while so that the last spot he was at before he died is in our front fucking lawn. Okay, what are you thinking? I don't know, Sarge. We're going to be exposed no matter what we do. Hecky, why'd you have to kill this fucking guy? Sarge, you're like a chick. You keep going all the way back to that. To that? That happened a half an hour ago, Hecky. Don't get tough, Sarge. That's not what we need right now. No, you're right, Hecky. What we need is this fucking body out of our fucking garage. Okay, any ideas? asked Hecky. Taking a moment, Derek replied. Honestly, I think one of us drives his car around for a few hours, and the other takes your van with his body to make the switch. Then we just torch his car somewhere. Okay, Hecky nodded. Do we have any other options? Derek continued. The other option is to rip out his radio, and we drive it around in the van along with his cell, and then we could drive him up to the water. Hecky's suggestion gave Derek an idea. Why don't we torch the car here and dump him up the coast? Hecky thought about it for a second. I know just the spot. Okay, let's get him out of here. Hecky stripped Roby's clothes off and put them into a garbage bag. He then scrubbed him down with soap and wrapped them in a tarp. Inside the car, Derek scrubbed the windows, the seats, the doors, and the dashboard. He couldn't leave a trace of anything in case the fire was put out quickly. We'll have to burn these clothes in the tarp and that, said Hecky. We'll torch his clothes in the car. Everything else we'll torch after. Hecky had a better idea. Why don't we park the car somewhere, dump him, come back, and torch everything in the car? Sure, Hecky. Whatever gets him and this car out of here. I think I'm starting to see how this chaos works, said Hecky. Jesus Christ, Hecky. Do you think you're evolving or something? How am I not, Sarge? Dude, we've gone from people to animals in a matter of weeks. Hecky shook his head in disagreement. He focused his attention on the cleanup. Derek turned and looked around the garage before looking at Roby's body. What'd you do with his gun? It's with his clothes over there. Pointing to Roby's clothing, his gun was sitting on top. Derek studied it for a second and pulled it out of the holster. He placed it back and threw it back on the pile of clothing. Torch it too, eh? Derek asked. We should keep it, no? In case we need it? Okay, Hecky. If you want to keep it, make sure you keep it elsewhere. Did you look in the trunk? Hecky asked. I hope there isn't anything that can track us in there. Oh, fuck, eh? Hecky he grabbed Roby's keys out of his pants pocket and tossed them to Derek, who walked over to the trunk and opened it. Inside was a bounty of booty. The first item Derek noticed was a Remington Model 870P police-issue shotgun. Next to it was a box of shotgun shells. There were various black blankets covering other items. Jesus Christ, exclaimed Derek. What is it? Shotgun. Derek said as he lifted one of the blankets. Under it was a stack of hard cases. Opening them up, Derek saw it was surveillance equipment. That's pricey gear, said Heckey as he walked over to the car. You know anything about this stuff? Derek wondered. Yeah, there's like an easy five or ten thousand here. New? Derek followed up. No, no, no. Used, replied Heccy. Just leave the cases on the floor. We can't keep this. Oh, fuck, fine. hecky pulled up another blanket. He found more shotgun shells, a box of 9mm bullets, and a small gun case. Inside the case was another 9mm. Under the last blanket was a duffel bag with spare clothes and a few hundred dollars in petty cash. Derek cleared a space on the shelf to store the money. Oh, so we can keep the cash? Hecky remarked. And the guns. Anything that doesn't have a computer chip in it it is all good, Hecky. Derek set the bullets and the gun on Roby's clothes. He was about to shut the trunk when he noticed the outline in the carpeting for a spare tire. He pulled it up and out, seeing that there was nothing on top of the spare tire. He picked up the tire and set it on the ground. As it bounced on the concrete, three stacks of money and two bricks of a pressed white substance fell out. What the hell? asked Hecky. Spare tire, replied Derek. Nice. Hecky kneeled down and picked up the cash and the bricks. Jesus Christ, said Derek. How much is that? I don't know, ten grand? said Hecky as he smiled. Per stack? Fuck me. Why does a cop have money and drugs in his spare tire? Well, Sarge, I think your boy might have been a bit dirty. No fucking way, Derek exclaimed. Hecky stood up and looked in the trunk. Derek could see Hecky bent over trying to reach something. And then as he stood up, he had his hands full and a shit-eating grin on his face. Hecky had five more stacks of money and two more bricks of that white substance. Oh my God. Shh, said Hecky. This is like 90 grand. How much is that coke? Asked Derek. I think it's four bricks and two bricks of something else. Might be heroin. How many grams is a brick? Derek wondered. Is it a thousand? I think so. That's why they call it a key, replied Hecky. We just hit fucking rampart, bring down the LAPD motherfucking mother load. Hecky nearly jumped off the ground. He was so excited. Yo, we need to get all this shit stashed somewhere and get the car and the body the fuck out of here. Okay replied Derek as he stood up and went to work. Half an hour later, Hecky and Derek set off. Hecky drove the van and Derek drove Roby's car. Everything they wanted was stashed in Hecky's locked tool chest. They drove to Kent Sanderson's house, parked Roby's car on the street and left it there. We need to go back home, said Derek as he climbed into Hecky's van. Why? Well, if our alibi is we were at your folks place, then we should have cell phones with us. Fuck. Hecky agreed. You're right. We could probably use some clothes too. The boys drove back to the house, picked up their phones, packed clothes, and took the highway to where they dumped Kent's body. Unfortunately for them, the road construction crews had moved right next to their potential dump site. God damn it, said Hecky as he pondered their options moving forward. I think I know another spot. Hecky kept on driving towards Squamish. 15 minutes later, he pulled onto a side road that led down towards the water. He parked the van in the dirt parking lot and shut it off. How do you know about this place? Asked Derek. We shot here. From what Derek could see, it looked like a nice spot. There were picnic tables, a boat launch, and outdoor outhouses. Hecky's plan eluded Derek, but he knew Hecky would clue him in. They stepped out of the car, and Hecky walked around looking for something. Derek walked to the outhouse and began to take a piss. He opened the door and was hit with an unbearable stench. It was as if someone had dumped a body inside. Then it hit Derek. That was it. Derek studied the size of the opening in the toilet. It was larger than a regular toilet. He pissed, zipped up, and ran outside. Hecky! Hecky! Where are you? I'm over here, Sarge. Hecky called out from down near the water. What's up? What are you doing? I'm looking for an anchor, Hecky yelled back. Yo, fuck the water. I got an idea. What's that? Hecky wondered. Derek pointed to the outhouse and grinned. What is it? Asked Hecky. We dump his body in there. Derek continued the point. Hecky seemed a bit skeptical. Now hear me out. Look, any evidence will be contaminated. And with the smell in there, it'll be virtually unnoticeable. Yeah, but what about if he floats to the top? Asked Hecky. Dude, how many people actually look in the shitter when they're in an outhouse? I do, replied Hecky. Doesn't everyone? Derek thought for a second. Well, we anchor him then. We were going to anchor him anyways, right? Will he even fit in there? Asked Hecky. I'm really not sure. Hecky looked at the outhouse and looked back at the water. I mean, it's worth a shot. If he stays submerged, the bacteria's going to break him down, I would think. Yeah, I had the same thought, said Derek. Just grab an anchor. Okay, replied Hecky. Can you grab a saw from my toolbox? We'll cut a rock off the picnic table and use that to anchor him. Together, Hecky and Derek dragged Roby's body over to the outhouse and opened the door. Hecky took a look at the width of the toilet. I sure hope this works. They chained Roby to a rock, pulled him into the outhouse, and positioned his legs in the toilet. With the body in place, Derek wiggled his corpse back and forth until he was waist-deep in waste. Hecky picked up the rock. Can you do this? asked Derek. Can you hold it up and make sure to let it go? Hecky held the rock above Roby's corpse, while Derek raised the body's limp arms above its head, and then they both let go. Roby dropped straight into the ship below. The awful stench filled Derek's lungs, leaving him gasping for air as he struggled to regain his breath. Heckey had his hands on his knees and was keeled over. He too was gasping for oxygen. The boys exited the outhouse, coughing. Heckey walked over to his van, opened his toolbox, and pulled out the flashlight. He walked back inside the outhouse. Derek could see him shine the light into the toilet. Roby's body was on top of all the shit. Fuck! exclaimed Heckey. We need a stick or something to push him under. Hecky exited the outhouse. As he did, the boys could hear a car driving down the hill. Fuck, car. Go back in the outhouse, yelled Derek. The boys both walked into the outhouse and stood in separate stalls. What do we do? Asked Hecky. Just follow my lead. Come out in like two minutes. Thank fucking God we changed, said Hecky. He stayed put as Derek exited the outhouse and noticed an RCMP squad car and two male officers in the parking lot. Fuck me, Derek thought. He closed the door and approached the vehicle. One of the officers shined a light in his face. What are you doing, son? The officer asked. I'm using the can. My friend had to take a dump. Derek panicked. He wondered, did he or heckey have any blood on them? Where are you headed? The other officer wondered. Squamish, we're going to my buddy's parents' place for the night. Are you coming from Vancouver? The police continued to interrogate Derek? Yes, sir. Where's your friend? The cops kept going back and forth. Derek continued to answer. He's in the toilet, replied Derek as he pointed at the outhouse. You or your friend been drinking or doing anything else? No, Derek shook his head. I just got off work. This was just on a whim. We're going to go up and ski tomorrow. Hecky appeared outside of his stall and the door slammed behind him. He walked down the hill towards Derek. Evening, officers, said Hecky. Good evening, one of the officers greeted Hecky. Can we see both of your IDs and the registration and insurance for your vehicle? Heckey and Derek took out their wallets and handed over their licenses. Heckey did the same with his insurance and registration. The older officer walked over to his squad car and checked the info. Did the Canucks win tonight? The younger officer asked. Of course they didn't, replied Derek. The officer nodded his head and smiled. Why are you wearing pajama pants? The officer continued. Oh, fuck, thought Derek. He needed an excuse. I just threw them on before we left. Like I said, this was just on a whim. The younger officer looked back at his partner, who was walking back towards the men. Why didn't you piss on the side of the road? The cop wondered. Derek replied, I was worried that the cops would pull us over. The older officer chuckled and handed back their licenses. You guys are good to go. Drive safe. You too, Derek nodded. The younger officer turned to his partner. I should go while we're here. He walked up to the outhouse. Derek's heart sank as the officer made his way to the stall and entered the one where Roby's corpse was laying. Heckey and Derek began walking quickly to the van. Derek heard the outhouse door slam shut and he turned back to see the younger officer jogging down the hill towards them. Oh my god, he found him. He found Roby. The officer raised his hand and waved goodbye. Good night, fellas. The two cops climbed into their squad car and drove up the hill into the night. Hecky looked over at Derek and they both started to scream obscenities. Grabbing his flashlight, Hecky ran over to a nearby tree and picked up a very large branch. He ran uphill to the outhouse and inside the stall containing Roby's body. A minute later, Hecky ran behind the outhouse and tossed the branch into the woods. Let's get the fuck out of here. The boys piled into the van and drove to Hecky's parents to get gas cans and leave their phones behind. Their next stop was a 7-Eleven for Belmont Miles and gas. They chain-smoked all the way back to Vancouver. At around 3.30 a.m., Hecky pulled off to the side of the road, about eight blocks away from Roby's car. Derek jumped out and covered the van's license plates. It was there that Derek realized the flaw in their plan. He climbed into the van and whispered to Hecky, Fuck, they are going to trace Roby's cell phone back here and know that this is the last spot he was before his car got torched. Hecky nodded in agreement. Then they check the security cameras. Fuck, fuck, fuck. What are we gonna do? Well, I'm gonna walk to the car and when we get out of suburbia, we're gonna switch the cell and the radio to your van and the gas to Roby's. Then you ditch the cell and the radio somewhere and meet me at the park. Derek looked for an answer. All right, I think we can do this. Look, I'm gonna walk to the car and when we get out of suburbia, we're gonna switch the cell and the radio to your van and we'll move the gas back to Roby's car. So then you can ditch his cell in the radio somewhere and just meet me up at the park. Fuck, said Hecky. More plates to spin. Hecky stopped the van. Derek jumped out and walked the short distance to Roby's car. He followed Hecky as they drove to the park. It was nearing sunrise and exhaustion was starting to set in for Derek. He'd worked a full day and come home to commit accessory after the fact. He was worn out. Adrenaline was the only thing keeping him going. Hecky chose Mount Seymour as the spot to torch the car. It was still dark enough to hide the smoke. The fire needed to burn hot and fast. Hecky was behind when Derek arrived on the mountain in Roby's car and sat there waiting. It would be a half hour before Derek saw Hecky again and 20 minutes before he would torch the vehicle. It was the longest 20 minutes of Derek's life. It was just him and his thoughts and they weren't pleasant. He was concerned with what he was becoming and what Hecky had already turned into. The world was becoming his own personal hell one that parents fear their kids will get wrapped up in. The boys were proving just how ugly the human condition could be. And Hecky's personality, in particular, was becoming an abhorrent thing. Derek's time alone ended. Hecky was picking him up. He wiped down the car with a rag, popped the trunk open, pulled out the two cans of gas, and doused the vehicle. He made a trail away from it so he could make his getaway. On the horizon, he could see an outline of Hecky's van driving towards him. Hecky pulled up about 100 feet away from Derek and parked the vehicle. He popped the side door open and Derek set the gas cans inside. We need to torch these clothes and return the cans to your parents ASAP, Derek exclaimed. Well, hurry up then, yelled Hecky. Derek shut the door and walked back over to Roby's car. He pulled a book of matches from his pocket and lit it with a single one. The matches caught fire and Derek tossed them onto the ground, catching the gas on fire. Derek ran to Hecky's van. He climbed inside and strapped in. He could see the entire car was ablaze. It was bigger than they could have imagined. Fuck, yelled Derek. It's huge. Is it too big? Asked Hecky. Yeah, let's fucking go. An hour later, Hecky and Derek torched their clothes along with all the evidence at Hecky's parents in Squamish. Derek showered. The warm water rained down on him as he leaned on the wall. He felt unusually calm for someone who had witnessed a murder, uncovered a police conspiracy, found hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash, dope, and guns, and managed to cover all of it up. After his shower, he climbed into bed in the basement bedroom. He flipped on the TV and changed the channel to catch the start of the local BC news. Sure enough, a torch car in Burnaby was the top story. The opening shot was an aerial view from the news chopper. The newscasters described the scene as chaotic and disturbing. There were police, fire, and paramedic on scene. Hecky came in the room and looked at the TV. He wore his sense of relief like some sort of body armor. The car was completely obliterated. It was a shell, a hole in the ground. Holy shit, that thing is fucking toast, said Hecky, almost gleeful about their handiwork. Yeah, good luck sorting that one out. What's wrong? asked Hecky. We fucking made it. Made what? Hecky. Made myself an accessory? You're just tired, Sarge. Go sleep. Yeah. Derek sighed. Maybe. Hecky tapped Derek on the shoulder, walked out of the room, and closed the door. Derek pulled the covers up and began to stew. Most people would be envious of him. He had more money than he'd ever imagined. But he also had a memory bank full of bad things that he'd done. Chapter 23 October 4th, 2009 Mandy pulled her car into the hotel parking lot. She looked over at Derek and smiled. I can't believe you're leaving. I'll come back, said Derek. You should. Mandy exited her car and walked toward Derek. I'd like you to come back. Derek nodded. I'll leave you my number. Call me and I'll answer. I'll drive here anytime. I'll be spontaneous and I'll be free for you. Derek couldn't believe that a girl this smart, this beautiful, and this perfect would be interested in him. I've never opened up like this, Derek, said Mandy. I think it's funny that we're adults and I'm sneaking around with you like a teenager. It's exciting. It really is, Derek agreed. Safe travels, Derek. There and back to me. Thank you, replied Derek he walked towards the door of his motel room. Mandy yelled, Derek! She ran to him as he opened his arms, swept her up, and they embraced. She pressed her face to his and planted her lips, kissing him as he kissed her back. Her tiny feet lifted off the ground as Derek held her. Her kiss was as soft and tender as the skin on her cheek. After a few moments, Derek set her feet on the ground, She wiped the hair out of her eyes and blushed. I was calling you to give you my number, she said, but I'm really happy you misinterpreted it. Mandy placed a small piece of paper gently on Derek's fingertips and slid it into his hand. Please call me, Derek. Mandy walked back to her car, entered it, and drove off into the night. In the distance... Derek could see Messi walking towards him with a big bag of McDonald's in his hand. He had a messy grin on his face. He shook his head at Derek, continuing to grin. I thought I spotted a creep, Derek commented to Messi. That was the most romantic thing I've ever seen, replied Messi. Did you really fall in love on a first date? She's perfect, dude. No one's perfect, Sarge. February 12th, 2009. At around 2 p.m., Derek woke to the sound of Hecky grinding coffee upstairs. He lay in bed for a few minutes, trying to shake the cobwebs loose. He got his wits about him, and that's when the events from the night before came creeping back in. He pulled on a pair of Puma jogging pants that Hecky had left on the floor. They weren't pants, at least not on Derek. They were more like capris. The only shirt lying around was a t-shirt that had their college's name across the front of it. Simpler times, thought Derek. He joined Hecky in the kitchen. Hecky was pressing the coffee and frying up eggs and bacon. Grab a seat, said Hecky in a chipper tone. On the other side of the kitchen island, Derek sat down on a stool. We on the news, Derek wondered. Top story. Cars torched. They may not even be able to identify who it belonged to. Derek tilted his head. Makes evidence hard to find. No kidding. Hecky turned and tinkered at the stove flipping the bacon and eggs. Thank you, Sarge. I don't know what would have happened if you didn't help me. You'd be in a five by nine. I think so too, Hecky replied. Just as Derek was already walking away and putting a cigarette between his teeth, Hecky continued, yelling across his parents' house. We'll eat and we can head back home after. Okay, said Derek as he continued walking to the patio door. What do we tell the boys? Not a thing. This stays between us. Is that okay? Asked Hecky. Derek shrugged his shoulders. Yeah, I mean, I guess. That evening, Derek and Hecky drove back home and met up with Messi and Arlov at the Soho. They arrived at the restaurant to find that their friends already had a pint in front of them and were talking. Hecky and Derek greeted Arlov and Messi and sat across from them. What's up? Asked Hecky. We got money, yelled Messi. Hecky was so happy that he nearly fell out of his chair. No way. The boys were ecstatic as the waitress approached the table. They ordered food and continued their discussion. Did you get the money, Sarge? Asked Arlov. Paid in full, he replied. Nice. So where do we start? Asked Messi. We start by getting shit-faced tonight, boys. They all cheered in unison. Heckey continued. I'll lay out the plan and we can start up next week. The permits are already in. We're approved to begin setting up our truck. We just need a name. The waitress dropped off wings and drinks and barely even acknowledged the boys. She's friendly, joked Arlov. Yeah, man, said Sarge. I hate the eat it and beat it attitude of this place. Jesus Christ, said Harlov, shaking his head. That's the one, yelled Hecky. What is? Derek asked, confused. Eat it and beat it. That's our name, said Hecky. That's fucking brutal, said Derek. I love it, Messi smiled. Me too. Arlov agreed. 3 to 1. You didn't beat it, Sarge. Fucking democracy. Derek was discouraged. He knew he wasn't going to win this one. So we can pick up the truck Monday. I got a mechanic to help us set it up. Pretty decent price, too. How much? asked Messi. He's going to work for 750 a week. Why so cheap? asked Derek. He collects EI and I'm going to pay him in cash. I get it, replied Derek. Avoid paying taxes. I like it. Over the next week, Derek spent his time mixing up concoctions to test on the boys. On Thursday night, Derek, Messi, and Arlov went for dinner. As they returned home, Derek pulled onto Woodsworth Avenue and could see a Crown Victoria parked in front of their house. The car was similar to Roby's. Derek drove past the car and spotted Anna sitting in the driver's seat. Messi did a double take. He turned to Derek and smiled. Looks like the Cougar cop isn't going to give up on you yet, Sarge. Derek parked down the street and the boys exited their rental car and walked towards the house. Derek watched Anna exit her car and walk towards them. Hello, detective, said Derek with a smile on his face. Good evening, boys. Can I speak to Derek for a second? What's up, Anna? Yo, no need to cast us off so quick, said Arlov. Yeah, unless you guys are going to kiss, joked Messy. Messi, come on, said Derek sternly. He turned to Anna. Is everything okay? Did my partner come to see you sometime last week? She asked. Yeah, he came by my work. Shit, what night was that? Might have been Wednesday? He hasn't been seen since he picked up a coffee near your store. The boys looked at Derek. They were blindsided by the news. Really? Replied Derek. He dropped you off here, stayed in his car for quite a long time, and then he drove around before he parked over at Ken Sanderson's house. His car was then found torched a few hours after that. We're checking security cameras around the Sanderson's house. This news wasn't too concerning to Derek. He and Hecky knew that this would happen, and they covered their tracks. Yeah, we chatted for a few minutes about his kids, and then I went inside. Did you happen to see where he went, Derek? Or any of you, for that matter? Asked Anna. Uh, I showered and packed a bag. We drove to Squamish for the night. I was asleep, answered Arlov. Yeah, ditto. Messi followed up. Well, if you guys remember anything, call me, please. Anna handed them a card and began to walk away. Derek followed her and then stepped in front of her to stop her. Anna, what happened? He seemed fine, like I can't believe he'd just up and leave. He didn't leave, Derek, replied Anna. Did you see him on the street at all? No, we left at the garage out back. I never saw the street. Shit. Derek looked around at his neighbor's houses. Don't any of our neighbors have cameras? Derek knew that none of them did. No. We checked that already. Well, I'm really sorry I can't be of more help, Anna. I really am. Well, it's not your problem, Derek. We'll sort through it. Anna pointed to Derek's rental. What's with the Nissan? Oh, it's a rental. We're going up to Squamish tomorrow. That's kind of a downgrade, no? Eh, I don't really want the girls liking the car more than me, you know? Right. Anna smiled and walked back to her car. Goodbye, Derek. The next day, the boys drove to Hecky's parents' place. In the driveway sat a fully painted food truck. The sign on the front read, Eat it and beat it. Messy laughed as they drove by. You alright with that, Sarge? Hey, as long as we make money, I don't care what he calls it. Derek parked the car, and the boys dragged their belongings into Hecky's parents' house. They walked in the front foyer and were greeted by Hecky. He was drinking a scotch and holding an unlit cigar. Welcome, fellas. Yo, truck looks good, yelled Derek. Hey, leave that. I'll give you the tour of it. A few hours later, Hecky poured four glasses of Johnny Blue and handed out four Cohibas. The boys stood on a patio that looked out over Squamish. They lit their cigars. So why'd you bring us up here, Hecky? Arlov asked skeptically. Well, there's good news and bad news. Bad! Shouted the boys. All right, said Hecky. So we went about 20 grand over budget on the truck. So it cost 70, asked Derek. All cash, replied Hacky. So on paper, still looks like it costs 50. That's fine, said Derek. Yeah, it's okay, said Messi. What's the good news? I lined up five office parks we can hit. Monday to Friday, breakfast and lunch. No evenings, no weekends. No way to track how many customers we get, so we can start putting money through this thing on day one. That's awesome, said Messi. Yeah, that's great, dude. When do we start, Derek wondered. Two weeks. We need to get our menus out to be printed and all that shit. I started a Facebook group already. Cool. I got my recipes. We can name them today if you guys want. Are we still running with the TV theme? Yes, replied Hecky. I like that, said Messy. For the next few hours, the boys bounced ideas around on what to call the menu items. One of the breakfast sandwiches was called the Bacon Bad. It had three strips of bacon, two fried eggs, two strips of fresh marble cheese, aioli, lettuce, tomato, all on a fresh everything bagel with a dill pickle on the side. Their chip beef was called Chips Beef. Their club sandwich was called the S Club 7. They even had a Lex Luthor burger that was the burger served on a glazed donut. That night, the boys headed out to a pub for drinks and dinner. They dropped the food truck off at a local garage to have the last of the work done. Arlo and Messi followed in Hecky's van. Derek took the opportunity to discuss the events that had occurred with Detective Roby. Hecky he broke the ice. Arlov told me that Roby's partner was by the house. Yeah, Derek nodded. She came by, asked a few questions. I said exactly what we discussed. The boys were clueless. Good, Hecky he replied. That's real good. What should we do with that cash? I'm really not sure, heck. Hecky he cut Derek off. I sold the dope, eh? No way. For how much? Derek asked. 125. Shut the fuck up, exclaimed Derek. Jesus. How are we going to hide that? I don't know, dude. It's a good problem to have, though, I suppose. The boys packed up and drove back to the city the next day. Halfway home, they were brought to a stop by a traffic jam. They waited patiently in the van while Messi complained about BC traffic. Closer and closer, they inched towards the root of the problem. Derek could see countless police cars and fire trucks on the scene. Is it an accident? asked hecky They inched forward between Lions Bay and the Burrard Inlet. Becky noticed a policeman directing traffic and off to the side of the road, a huge crane on the back of a flatbed truck. He looked at Derek and panicked. They found the car. Check the radio, yelled Arla from the back seat. Derek searched for a signal on a talk radio station. A news report came on. And if you're heading up to Whistler today, you might want to give yourself an hour or two buffer as police and fire crews are pulling a car from the water near the Burrard Inlet. Oh, Jesus, yelled Derek. Hecci drove past the police presence, and they were back driving at full speed. Holy fuck, said Hecci. They found him. Messi tried to be the voice of reason. Boys, we knew it was possible. Just calm down. How long until they trace that back to us? Yelled Hecci. How? Asked Messi. Evidence? We cleaned it up, said Messi. All it takes is one thing, mess. One thing, said Hecci. You know that better than anybody. Derek cut into the conversation. We'll be fine. Arlov, are you good? You're awful quiet. I'm fine. We're fine, boys. Maybe it was another car. This is Vancouver, after all. A lot of shady shit happens. Arlov was able to calm the boys down with one simple statement. An hour and a half later, they arrived home just in time to watch the six o'clock news. Arlov was wrong. The car in the water was indeed owned by Kent Sanderson, And from what the news was able to reveal, there was a body inside of it. The boys hoped that any evidence had been destroyed. The following few days were filled with panic, anxiety, and stress. The police were hunting for Sanderson's killer. The world knew that he was dead and that he was part of the ROP, a gang involved in a turf war with the Crazy Eights. Another story on the same newscast was the disappearance of Detective Roby, He had yet to be found, and the police were beginning to speculate that he'd been caught in the middle of a gang war. Roby had a long list of enemies, so between that and Sanderson, the murders committed by the boys were lumped in as part of the Greater Vancouver Gang War. The boys settled on opening Eat It and Beat It during the first week of April. March was especially warm, and they managed to get the truck operational for a soft open. On April 2nd, Hecky drove the truck on its maiden voyage. They set up at 7 a.m. in Burnaby, near warehouses, production houses, and factories. Derek took a day off work for the opening. They opened at 7 a.m., and their first clients were Messi's work buddies, Mark and Killian. Do you feed the homeless? Joked Killian, as he stood in a suit and tie. You're dressed up, said Messi. Well, Mess, the headlights in my car are no longer operational, so I've been leaving the house dressed in what I'd like to be buried in. The boys laughed and both Killian and Mark ordered a bacon bad. They gave the thumbs up, two satisfied customers. Between 7 and 9 a.m., the boys had a total of seven customers, all who appreciated delicious homemade food at a reasonable price. Around 11 a.m., they experienced their first lunch rush. Word had gotten out that a food truck was coming, and the people working in the area were looking for a change from the few alternatives they had for a hot lunch. Between 11 and 12, They served 35 customers. Between 12 and one, they served 37. Between one and two, they fed 26 people. And between two and three, they served 19. Their total take for the day was $1,720, well above what they dreamed of for a first day. Hecky threw some ill-gotten money into an envelope, and they deposited it all at a local bank. A $2,550 day. That sort of production called for a night out on the town. They packed the truck up and drove it home. The boys put on their best suits, nice cologne, and took a cab to the Pear Tree restaurant on Hastings Street. After dinner, they headed downtown and paid a bouncer to skip the line. Once inside a club, they scoured for girls that they could hit on. Halfway around the bar, Derek could hear Hecky behind him screaming his name. Derek looked back to see Messi was pointing to a table of older women. It was Anna and her friends. Messy grinned. Hecky looked less than impressed. Derek leaned in and spoke to Messi. We have to behave, right? Messi tilted his head. I can go a night without it. Can you? Derek smiled and nodded. All right, pass the word over to Hecky. Messi leaned over to Hecky to explain the situation. Hecky looked none too pleased as he nodded his head in agreement. They approached Anna's table. She saw Derek out of the corner of her eye. She quickly stood up and screamed Oh my god! Before running over to Derek and greeting him with a hug, Derek saw that Messi had a big smile on his face. Derek introduced the boys to Anna's friends, and they all sat down. The evening was like any other. Drinks, dancing, yelling, dance floor makeout sessions, a cab home, cocaine, broken phones, retching on the floor. Derek woke up around noon the next day to the sound of the doorbell ringing. Being the only one up, he put on a pair of cargo shorts and walked downstairs. He opened the front door and was greeted by a smiling Anna. She was carrying a couple of bagels and a tray of coffees for the boys. Good morning, she said in a chipper tone. Good morning, replied Derek in a less than enthusiastic tone. Are you roomies still asleep? Asked Anna as she set everything on the kitchen counter and looked around at the mess of empty bottles. Derek followed her into the kitchen. Yeah, they won't be up for a while. Anna turned and lunged at Derek. She began kissing him. He pushed her against the fridge and began to kiss back. They made out passionately for a minute until Derek stopped. Anna walked over and picked up a coffee. Derek turned to her and smiled. I wasn't sure about last night. I like you, Derek. You do something to me that I can't explain. Derek blushed. He leaned in to grab a coffee. We should go on a date. Like a real date, not drinks at a club. Okay, she replied. Tonight? I could pick you up like seven. You pick the spot? Okay, Derek enthusiastically replied. Anna walked to him and planted another aggressive kiss on his lips. Bye, Derek, she whispered as she walked past him and left. Messy walked into the kitchen to find Derek about to walk out the back door for a cigarette. Did she come over last night? Derek turned back. No, she came by this morning to bring us coffee. Well, she gets my vote, joked Messy. Derek stepped outside for a smoke and stood with the door open. Yeah, I don't know. I'm really skeptical about this. What do you mean? I feel like she could be working an angle. You know? Messy scoffed. Yeah, because she's smoking hot and you're a piece of shit, right? Yep. Nodded Derek. Exactly. Look, Sarge, give yourself some credit, dude. You're a good looking cat. And, you know, on the surface, you're successful and confident and shit. Chicks love all that. She wants me to take her out, mess. So what? Take her to Pear Tree. That's a good plan, Derek agreed. But look, if you bring her home, don't bring her here. Hotel or her place. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't want to deal with the repercussions of that shit. No, Sarge, you don't. It was later that evening, and Derek, dressed in a suit and tie, stood smoking a cigarette on the front step. A brand new blue Ford Edge pulled up in front of the house. Derek put out his cigarette and approached it. The passenger side window rolled down. Hey, handsome, said Anna, smiling. She unlocked the car and Derek opened the door and climbed inside. I think they're paying cops too much. Oh, Derek, I'll be paying for this long after I'm dead. Anna rolled up Derek's window and he put on his seatbelt. Where to? She asked. Hastings, Pear Tree. Anna drove them to Hastings Street and parked her SUV in front of the restaurant. They exited and walked towards it. Derek could see Maddie building a display through the window of his store, right across the street. He recognized Derek and grinned when he saw Anna. Derek smiled back and shrugged his shoulders. They walked into Pear Tree, and the hostess immediately recognized Derek from the night before. Welcome back, she said as she smiled. She seated them at a table in the middle of the restaurant. Derek thought to himself, These hostesses will never learn that I tip better when I'm sitting in a booth. Anna and Derek began discussing Anna's lack of experience in fine dining. The conversation eventually shifted to eat it and beat it. Anna had a lot of questions regarding the menu and how Derek became a sandwich connoisseur. Derek began to question Anna's motivation for all of her questions. But as quick as she brought it up, he was just as quick to change the subject again. Anna answered Derek's questions about how she became a cop. She said it was in her blood. Her father, grandfather, and brothers were all cops. It was a rite of passage. That meant that should a relationship progress, Derek was always going to risk being exposed. They finished dinner, and Derek paid the bill. They walked back to the SUV. As they crossed the street, Anna's phone rang. She unlocked the car and answered the call. She spoke on the phone while Derek climbed into the passenger seat. She became very animated, but Derek couldn't quite catch what she was saying. It was about a case that she was working. Her number one suspect was likely sitting in her passenger seat. Derek kept the door ajar. He wanted to catch some of what she was saying. Her tone was stern as she dropped Roby's name a number of times. Nothing in the cell records? Asked Anna. She paused for a moment. What can we do, Mike? Until something breaks. All we can do is treat it as a missing person. There was a significant desperation in Anna's voice. I know. He's lying in a hole somewhere. Oh, Anna, you're so right, thought Derek. She ended the call, opened the door, and climbed into her SUV. Who was that? Asked Derek. Just another detective. Oh? I don't want to talk about it, Derek. No offense. It's just a fluid situation. Hey, none taken. If you wanted to talk, you'd talk. Anna started her vehicle and drove down Hastings Street into North Vancouver. She eventually arrived at Deep Cove and parked in a parking lot next to the water. What's up? Asked Derek. I come here to think sometimes. It's a good place to just walk around. Anna jumped out of her car, as did Derek. He followed her as she walked down to the water. She stared blankly for a few moments before she took a step back and looked at the beach. I came here for the first time, like three years ago. The first case I ever pulled was here. Anna continued as she looked out to the water. So I show up, and the first thing I saw was this kid, 17 probably, dressed in baggy clothes, just like any other kid, except somebody had put five bullets in him. Anna tried to compose herself. They killed him like an animal because one of his friends was an ROP puppet, and someone saw him buy some pot. Derek froze. Is she pouring her heart out, or is she warning me? He wondered. That's fucking awful. It was. Derek, the really awful part was telling his parents that his six-year-old brother watched it happen. Jesus. Derek bit his lip and looked out to the water. He didn't know what to say to her. Anna looked back at him. Vancouver's a funny place. The gangs come in waves, and each one is more ruthless than the last. All of these cautionary tales make gangster life sound very unappealing. Derek's mind raced. What was Anna's motivation for bringing him here? Was it personal or was it about him? Anna let Derek take her hand and stroke it slowly. She put her left hand on Derek's right shoulder and leaned forward. Derek wrapped his arms around her and consoled her while he studied the area. He actually knew the case that she was talking about. Maddie used to tell Derek Vancouver gang stories while they were unloading beer at the store. He had grown up in Abbotsford and went to school with members of the Red Scorpions. In his time in Abbotsford, he'd heard stories about other gangs such as the UN, the Independent Soldiers, and even the Hell's Angels. These four factions basically ran the drug trade in the suburbs of Vancouver, at least according to Maddie. He'd talked constantly about the temptation to join a gang and run with a crew. Five minutes with Anna, and Maddie might think twice about that. Anna and Derek climbed back into her SUV and they drove back through North Vancouver. Derek wasn't sure what just happened or what Anna's intentions were. For all the time he'd spent causing Anna to be flustered, she had just turned the tables and was returning the favor. Where are we going? Derek wondered. I figure we could go to my place, said Anna. I live right here. Okay. Anna pulled into her condo parking spot and cut the engine. They rode the elevator to her floor and entered her apartment. Derek took a look around to study the unit. The home was well decorated with a white and black contemporary theme. The kitchen had grey wood cabinets with white quartz countertops and a stone backsplash. It was a beautiful open layout, but still managed to feel cozy. Anna walked into her bedroom and dropped her purse. She walked back out and turned on her sound system. Derek breezed past her and sat down on the couch. A few seconds later, he saw her pour him a glass of Belvedere and a glass of red wine for herself. She walked toward him and sat next to him. She handed Derek his drink. The music was unrecognizable to Derek. It was classical. Whatever it was, it was setting the mood. For her, at least. Derek was used to 90s alt-rock. Before he could comment on the music, Anna made her move. That's it for this week's episode of Second Story Work, The Novel. Thanks so much for listening. If you like my work, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at author Josh Sabalski. I'm also on Twitter at author J. Cebalski, and you can listen to my podcast called Second Story that I host with my good friend Corey Leckie. Again, I'm Josh Sabalski and thanks so much for listening. Take care.